from the Garden of Eden to today, the devil has done his best to try to bring conflict in the home. The Bible tells us over in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter number 2, uh, we find a fascinating uh, story of in, during creation. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 20, uh, the Bible says this, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We find here in the beginning of creation when God created man. God said, let's create man in our own image. Speaking of the, of the trinity. And then once man was created, we find that that uh, Adam began to name the animals. Jason, he was naming those animals, male and female, and the cattle and the birds and all those things. He realized that there was no mate for him. And so the Bible tells us that God, in wanting to correct this and give him a mate, that he formed uh, Eve out of man, took one of his ribs and formed him out of man. Notice that God didn't take uh, a, a bone from the head so that man might lord over her. No, he didn't take it from the heel that men might stomp on his wife and, and be a dictator. No, he took from the side of man and formed Eve. And when he formed Eve, oh, Adam got so excited. He said, oh, I'm going to call her woman because she's taken out of man. And then you stop right there in verse number 23. And you look down and about 14 or 15 verses later, you come to a very difficult passage of Scripture where there's conflict in this marriage. As a matter of fact, it didn't last long at all, did it? And let's look at what the Bible says in chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where are you, Adam? Adam says that he was hiding. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Has you? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thou not to eat? And the man said, well, The woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Don't you find it fascinating that after God created Adam and Eve, and God set them in the garden to tend to it and to take care of it, and then all of a sudden, here comes the devil into the marriage, and he begins to lie. And the first lie that he says is, God didn't say that you're going to die. No, God understands that if you eat of that tree that God said not to eat, then your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like God. Now, we need to understand that God never has lied to us. God's given us everything that we need for life. And the relationship that we had with God before creation was a perfect relationship. 
But when the devil got in the mix and he began to lie, and the Bible says he beguiled, he tricked Eve, and Eve ate, and then Eve gave to Adam that fruit, and Adam willingly ate of it. And then then Adam had the audacity to say, well, it's her fault. (laughs) It's not my fault. It's, it's her. And so directly he accuses Eve, but indirectly he accuses God. You gave her to me. Well, man, just a few verses earlier, he was all excited about what God gave to him. But now he found himself in accusation. And here we find the beginning of conflict. And as this conflict happened and sin came into marriage and sin came between us and God, there was enmity between us and God. There was a war taking place between us and God. And God put a curse on this earth. And marriage, in response to that, because marriage is the first institution that God ever created. And when he created that institution... He said, a man shall leave his, husband, or leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. And from that moment forward, the devil's been doing everything he can to separate husbands and wives. Let's face it, some of you today on your way to church had a conflict. But when you got in the parking lot, we put on our church face, didn't we? And we smiled, and we came in, and we, uh, no, we were doing great. Man, we're doing wonderful. But really down deep inside, there's a real conflict going on in our marriages. I want to share with you, there's hope for your relationship. As a matter of fact, God gave marriage and gave conflict in marriage to help us. You say, well, how is that? We never grow, like I said in, in days past. We never grow on the mountaintops. We only grow in the valley. And if we're growing in the valley, which means that there are going to be times we're going to experience brokenness, and the brokenness that we have between each other in a conflict between husband and wife is given us that we might be broken together, and together we might seek restoration before God. And so you may be here today, and you may be wondering, is there any hope for my marriage? Because me and my wife, we're in serious conflict between the two of us. Number one, let me say that yes, there is hope for your marriage. But that hope is only found in Jesus Christ. Only Christ can redeem, if you will, your marriage. But I'm going to tell you this, in Christ redeeming marriages... It's going to take a husband and a wife coming to the table and seeking God's face and seeking restoration, restitution between the two of you. This morning, I'm not going to give you, I can't give you all. I mean, I could preach 10 messages on this subject. I'm just going to give you just a few things this morning. I hope that will help in, in the realm of conflict resolution. Pastor, is there anything that I can do in my marriage to help resolve the conflict between the husband and the wife, between the two of us? Yeah, there are some things that we can do according to God's Word. But before we uh, get to that, we've got to understand who the real enemy is. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is the devil. And the devil wants to do everything in his power to pit you against your spouse. And if he can pit you against your spouse and make you think the wrong thoughts about your spouse, like your spouse is selfish, did you know that we need to turn that around? Really, the fact of the matter is, it's not that our spouse that's selfish. We're selfish. By our very nature, we're selfish. Uh, That's why we have sin in the world today, because we were selfish. If we knew the trick of the devil, and look, he's a... Look, he's... The devil's the Barney Fife of this world. He's got one bullet in his gun. He does. He's got one bullet. And that one bullet is lies. 
And Keith, if he could lie to you and Amanda and tell and, and, and say that, no, she ain't what for she ain't for you, you know, and she's got all these issues, yada, 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 and you start believing those lies, what begins to happen is you start questioning the lies in, 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 instead of reality. The fact of the matter is, or excuse me, you start questioning reality instead of the lies. I get that mixed up every time. The fact of the matter is simply this. When you question reality, you always believe the lie of the devil. And so what can we implement in our marriages that will help resolve conflict the quickest? Uh, let me give you the first one. Number one, the first thing we can do is we can exercise patience. Uh, we can exercise patience. Now, I'm going a little bit out of order, so guys, uh, you hanging back there with me, okay? Exercise patience. That is, develop perseverance. In developing perseverance and in developing patience, what I'm saying to you this morning is just simply this. If we're going to have healthy marriages, then we need to persevere. We need to push through the struggle that we're having with our spouse. So what do you mean, Pastor? The word patience in Scripture... The word patience means to bear the load. And so what the Scripture is saying is that when you go through a trial, that trial in your marriage is going to be a heavy load. And when you get to that heavy load, you need to get up under that heavy load and you need to bear that heavy load. How do you bear that heavy load? You bear it together. You bear the load together. You can't bear the load on your own. As a matter of fact, uh, the Bible uh, tells us over, if you would, we're in James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Uh, and especially if we back up to verse 1 and 2, what does he say? Count it all joy when you fall into various temptations. When you fall into these multicolored, crazy trials, count that as a joy. Why? Because what's going to happen is that load is going to work in your life and it's going to cause you to mature in Jesus Christ because, listen, it's working patiently. Patience in you. The one thing that we need with our spouse more than anything is to be patient with our spouse. And that's hard to do. Why? Because we know them and they know us. You know your spouse and your spouse knows you. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what buttons to push. You know if you're hitting below the belt or not when you're having an argument or a fight. And if you want to resolve the conflict that exists inside your marriage, the first thing that you must do is you've got to exercise that patience so that you can work through that relationship together. Uh, also, let me give you a second one very quickly, and that would be that, that number one there, is that's have the right attitude you got to have the right attitude. If you don't have the right attitude in, in a conflict, then you are really going to royally mess this whole thing up, and it's just going to inflame. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get uglier. It's going, you must have the right attitude. You ever heard that saying, your attitude will determine your blessing? That is very true, not just in life, but it's also true in relationships, especially the relationship that you have with your spouse. Winston Churchill once said, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. You want to make a big difference in your relationship? Then change your attitude. Uh, we must have the mind of Christ. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was the mind of Christ? What, the mind of Christ was a mind that was quick to forgive. God wants to forgive us of our sins. And so if we're going to be like Christ, we'll never be more like Christ than when we're forgiving our spouse. 
Oh, you just mark it down. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have trials. You're, you're going to have distractions. You're going to have hard times. You're going to get upset at each other. But we must realize that those trials, it, they're meant to test our faith. The trial that you're in right now with your spouse, your faith is being tested. And, and we will see at the end of this trial how, how it's going to come out. But the bottom line is simply this. Your attitude will have something to do with it. It's just like coming to church. I mean, listen, you, you could come to church and, and you could hear uh, the most eloquent speaker and walk away and say, man, that guy is an amazing orator. He absolutely just, man, he shucked it all the way down to the corn. Man, spit about four um, rows back. Man, he, he sure can. He, can. he can sure preach the pain off the church walls. That's all fine and dandy. But if you are not in a place in your relationship with Christ where you take the principles that God has given you through whoever the speaker is, and implement them and appropriate them and flesh those truths out, it's not going to do any good just to hear a sermon for sermon's sake. No, we, we must appropriate the Word of God. And so it's one thing to say, have the right attitude. It's something totally different to have the right attitude. I think one of the challenges that we have in our marriages today is we think that our marriages are supposed to be happy. Marriage isn't created just for happiness. No, marriages need to be holy. And when marriages are holy, then we're truly happy. And so to have a happy marriage is to have a holy marriage. And to have a holy marriage is to have a healthy marriage. And to have a healthy marriage means that you're exercising the fruits of the Spirit in your marital relationship. So have the right attitude. Develop perseverance. Uh, take your Bibles, if you would, in regard to attitude, and let's think about Philippians chapter 2. Uh, turn over to Philippians chapter number 2, and let's th see what Paul has to say uh, in regards to this topic. Uh, the Bible tells us over in Philippians where Paul was writing there to the church at, at Philippi, and he was encouraging those saints. And in chapter number 2, in verse number 14 and 15, he says this, Do all things without murmurings. Do all things without disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights to the world. You think about the light that we shine, the light that we shine out as believers, as we exercise patience towards our spouse, or we exercise the right attitude towards our spouse. If we want to resolve major conflicts in our marriages, it will begin by us having the right attitude, and it will also have something to do with the patience that we have in developing that perseverance. Uh, in developing this perseverance and having the right attitude, I was thinking about uh, uh, a story that I had read uh, this week. And uh, according to this story, there's an old uh, Hebrew story that they would tell. And in regard to this Hebrew story, they would share it uh, and they'd pass it down from generation to generation to generation. And the story goes like this. Abraham was sitting outside of his tent one day. And as Abraham was sitting outside of his tent, he saw a man walking towards his tent. Abraham got up and he ran to the man, only to find the man was well advanced in age, somewhere as in 80 years or greater. Abraham took the man and he said, Come, have dinner in my house. Rest your feet for a while. And Abraham took him into his tent and washed his feet and cleaned his face and washed his hands and, and helped this guy and gave him some food. 
And the men sat down and began to eat the food immediately, in which Abraham stopped him and said, Sir, do you pray? Are you not going to pray to God? And the man said, I don't respect any gods. I worship fire. To which Abraham stood up and grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and drug him out of the tent and threw him out of the tent and said, You're not welcome in my tent ever again. Once the man had vanished off into the distance, God spoke to Abraham and he said, Abraham, where's the stranger that I sent to your house? And Abraham just simply said, I forced him out, God. He's not a worshiper of you. And if he wasn't worshiping you, he was gone. And God's answered and said, Abraham, I have suffered him 80 years, though he dishonors me. Could you not endure him for one night? What was God saying to Abraham in that traditional Hebrew story? That God is a patient God. And the patience of God that is demonstrated by His long-suffering should also be demonstrated in our marriages today in response to the conflict resolution. Did you know that in the American desert there exist two birds? Uh, There are many other birds, but two birds in particular that I find fascinating. One is the vulture. Now, if you live in northeast Georgia, you're always seeing vultures. Uh, They're always eating the carcasses of dead animals on the side of the road. But did you know that they exist in our American deserts as well in the United States? But did you know there's another bird that exists out there? And it's a hummingbird. Now, isn't it fascinating that when you look at the deserts here in America, you have a hummingbird whose job is to thrive off of beauty in life. A hummingbird looks and sees the beauty of the oasises and and the plants and the things that are alive by color, and it goes to that life, and it gets its nourishment from life. But the vulture, on the other hand, is looking for the smell of death. And a vulture scours the surface of the deserts in America looking for something that is dead. So that it can come and feed off the dead carcasses that die in the desert. The same is true in marriages. You're either a vulture or a hummingbird. You're either surviving off the dead carcasses that exist in your marriage. Or you're surviving off the life that's given through the beauty of the relationship you have with your spouse. And here's the difference. How you can tell if you're a vulture or a hummingbird has everything to do with your attitude. So the first two points this morning is number one, have the right attitude. Number two, develop perseverance. Let me give you a third one. Here's a third one very quickly. The third thing I'd like to share with you today is that if you're going to resolve conflicts in your marriage, you must talk to your spouse first before anyone else. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 18 that if you've got a problem with somebody, you're to go to that person and that person first. And the Bible says that if you don't, after you go to that person, go to that person, and they don't hear you, then you, you take someone else with you. The same should be applied in our marriage. We should come to our spouses first when we're in a conflict. When we see ourselves in a conflict, we should find ourselves in Matthew chapter 18 trying to get that relationship together. Why? Well, there's two reasons why we should do this. Number one, the first reason is to show respect for your spouse, to respect each other. 
You see, the Bible in God creating and God institutionalizing marriage, if you would, and putting a stamp of approval on it, is for us to serve one another. And in serving each other, in the act of service and serving one another, there has to be this issue of respect that goes both ways, this trust. I like to look at it like a bridge. And Couples come to me and they're struggling in their relationship. Maybe there was an affair or something that had happened in their relationship. The, I call it a bridge, the bridge of trust from one spouse to the next has been completely annihilated. And in order to get that trust back, you've got to build that trust back. And to build that trust back is going to take time. Uh, You think about when the bridge fell on I-85. Man, it could have took a lot longer than it did. Well, what constituted that bridge being built so quickly? Well, we had to have good weather. We also had to have people working together. Everyone had to check their schedule and work together in order to do so. Uh, we had uh, some folks in our, our church that uh, was close to that, and they worked in that department, and they would share with me. It was amazing how they would come together and work. If we're going to make conflict right in our marriages today, then we've got to work together. And if we're going to work together on the good days, we've got to know what constitutes a good day. What is a good day? A good day is the day where you come and you worship together as a family. I'm telling you, if, if you got one spouse going to one service and another spouse going to another service, I'm t- it's, there, there's, something, there's something there. You've you got to be careful with that. You need to be worshiping in the same worship service together. If it's at all possible, you need to be in the same Sunday school together. Or serving in the same Sunday school together. Oh, listen, if we're going to resolve conflict, then we've got to be together. And if we're together, then if there's a problem in the relationship, we go to our spouse first. We don't go to our mother. We don't go to our father. We don't go to our mother-in-law or our father-in-law. But we come to each other first. I worked at uh, the Advanced Auto Parts, uh, the distribution center in Atala, Alabama. And as I was there, I watched three or four marriages fall apart over this topic right here. I watched and would come in and watch as, as one spouse would go to another co-worker of the opposite sex and share their problems with that individual. And day by day, week by week, month by month, slowly that relationship between the spouses, the husband and wife, deteriorated in such a way that they were finding hope and they were finding uh, healing, if you would, in their mind, what they thought was healing through the comfort of an individual who was lost, didn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, and was being sympathetic towards this individual. And then what ended up happening is their marriage fell completely apart. I'm telling you, to find hope in a co-worker is false hope. You need to find hope in Jesus Christ. And the only hope that we have in Christ is that He's taken us, warts and all, and forgiven us of our sin. And He loved us enough to separate us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of His great love for us, redemption came through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we too can have that redeeming quality in our marriages. By knowing our spouses, warts and all, and going to them before we go to anyone else. And then there's a fourth one I'd like to give you very quickly this morning, and I'm going to close. And that is seek wise counsel when needed. Seek wise counsel when needed. Now when you look at those two, you might have a tendency to think, now these two contradict each other, when in reality they don't. 
The Bible tells us in Matthew 18, verse 16 and 17, again, that when we go to the individual, first and foremost, we come to our spouse, first and foremost, and they don't hear us or it's not proper, then we go and we bring someone else there. That's the counselor. The Bible tells us in the multitude of counsel, there's safety. There's wisdom in that, in coming to counsel. Now, who are the counselors in our life? Now, that's where we have to ask our question. Then, who are the counselors in our lives? The counselors in our lives ought to be people that we trust. And that trust has got to revolve around the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but if, if, if it were me and, and I was looking for a counselor, the first person I would have on the list uh, would be Jesus And then after that, the second counselor I would have on my list would be my pastor. But a lot of times we don't want to come to our pastor. Why? Well, number one, we don't come to our pastor because of pride. And in the arena of pride, what ends up happening, this has just been my experience, what I have noticed over the course of my ministry, is that many husbands who know that they're to take the headship of the home, they know they're to take the headship in relationship and to get things right, and, and what ends up happening is they, they don't practice that, and they're ashamed of that, and they're guilty of that, and instead of getting right with God and coming and asking for help, they push themselves away, they get out of Sunday school, they get out of church, they get away from their wives, and they end up in Lodi Bar somewhere, all because of pride. Pride will push you away from the relationship that you have with your spouse and with God. So a lot of times you won't come to your pastor because of pride. Another reason why you won't come to your pastor in the arena of pride is because you know that you ought to be more spiritually along than you are. And so you don't want to come to your pastor. Here's another reason why you don't come to the pastor. It's because you're afraid he's busy. Now, every pastor ought to be busy. I'm busy. i got a busy schedule. I praise God that, that we're busy. But here's the thing. I'm not too busy for you. I'm not too busy for you. If I'll pull the brakes up on a service because I want a grandma and a grandpa to be here for the baptism of their granddaughter. Please hear me. Please, please hear me. If I'll pull the brakes up for that, and I don't even know them. I don't even know you. I just I love you. I, I thank you for coming. I praise God. And I do know you and your memberships here. The Bible tells the Bible tells me that I am a watcher of your soul. You know what that means? That means as your shepherd, I'm not your judge. I'm not your jury, and I'm not your executioner. When you come to me, you're not coming to the throne of God. You're coming to me. And I'm here to extend grace to you. I promise you, there's absolutely nothing, nothing that you can ever go through or nothing that you can ever do that's going to change the way that I feel about you because I love you with the same kind of love that God loves me. And that's unconditional. But a lot of times we say, man, I won't won't come to the pastor because, man, I'm afraid he's going to judge me. Now, I know that there's some pastors out there like that. But I want you to know that's not my heart. My heart's to come alongside and help you. And I love you. And I tell you, you ought not to be ashamed that you got conflict in the home and that your marriage is falling apart. But I'm going to tell you what you ought to be ashamed of. That you ain't got enough courage to pick the phone up and call your pastor that loves you and that wants to help you. 
Your situation may be, on, may be far beyond what I might can help you with, but I'm going to tell you one thing I can do. I can pray with you, and I can get you somewhere where you can get some professional help to help you in your current situation. So you need to seek wise counsel when needed. I thank God for godly moms and godly dads. Maybe you've got a, a godly mother and a godly father. That you can go to for counsel. You need to do that. I think that's wonderful. I think that's awesome. But I'm telling you, if you've got parents that are lost and don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm telling you, you're setting your marriage up for a fall. Why? Because, listen, here's what happens. We bring the baggage of our home when we were at home. You know how I learned how to fight with my wife? I watched my mom and dad fight. And so when we got married, I'm going to tell you what, I'm serious. I had to unlearn some things. In order to have a healthy marriage. And I realized that the closer I got to God, the more in love I fell with my wife. And the more in love I felt with my wife, the quicker I wanted to resolve conflict. And so when you think about seeking wise counsel when needed, when you seek the counsel of Jesus Christ in the Word of God, and He says, watch this, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, then as a believer, I'm, look, I, you, I just want to do what the Bible says. So if the Bible says don't go to bed mad, then bless God, that's what we ought to do. If the Bible says that if you got something against your brother, go to them and the first brother or sister that I have in the home is my wife, my spouse, then I need to go to them. And then if my attitude's right and I'm exercising patience or perseverance, if you would, in my life and I'm talking to my spouse first and we still can't seem to get this resolved, then I need to sit down with my pastor and I need to see if we can't pray through this and see where, where are we hanging up on this thing. You can have a healthy marriage. But the health of your marriage will be dependent on your relationship with God. I'm telling you, you can't sit there and use the excuse, well, that, I'm just a hothead. You know what that tells me? You are not growing in your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a hothead, why are you saying that? Because I used to be. I was a hothead. And I was a hothead. Before I got saved, I was a hothead. When I got saved, I still was a hothead. And God, through the course of my spiritual growth, began to develop me to realize that the Bible, again, here's the principle. Be angry and sin not. There were some things that I, need to be, I needed to be uh, spiritually, righteously indignant about, but not move that into the arena of sin. You see, it's okay to be angry. You're going to have conflict. But you don't have to sin. You can seek restitution and restoration. I close with this closing illustration. I've used it several times because it really is, in my opinion, one of the best illustrations in regards to healthy marriages. A couple of 60-plus years were let me come into their home, and I was sitting down, and I was talking to them. And I just got word, actually, that this lady, her name's Shirley Green, I just got word last uh, week that she's not doing very well. She's in the nursing home, and, and uh, she's still married to her husband. They're still married. I mean, uh, my goodness, I bet they've been married, I don't know, 67 years or so by this time. And the fact of the matter is, when I sat down with them, they were married for 60 years. And, and I, just, I just asked, I said, how, how did you do this? How did you make it this long? How did your marriage make it to the 60 category? 
And they just simply said this, in order for us to make, it, to make it this long, we had to have two good forgivers. Two good, two, you, know what, you know what Shirley was saying? Shirley was saying, that man over there, he hurt me. He said some things that hurt me. He did some things through the years that hurt me. But because Jesus forgave me, I chose to forgive him. And you know what Grover was saying? Grover was on the other side. And Grover was just simply saying this. Through the years, she's hurt me. Through the years, she's said things and nagged on me. And none and none and none. All the, but as God has forgiven me, I've chosen to forgive her. And we haven't had a perfect marriage, but we had a forgiving marriage. Really what we need more than anything and more marriages like that. Marriages where grace is in place. And in order for grace to be in place in your marriage, you've got to have two really good forgivers. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you forgiven your spouse today for that little argument you had on the way to church this morning? What about that big fight you had last week? You know, have a, we have a tendency to not resolve the conflicts. Our tendency is just to let it go. You know, that's what men, men are good about that. They'll just walk away. So give it some time and it'll go away. And really, the, what the bottom line is simply that it never really goes away. It's just stored in a bank inside of us. And it would disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment until finally the relationship falls into such despair. The disappointment is so great, we end up doing something we wouldn't normally do under normal circumstances. And that is maybe leave the house or, or separate or, or go to a divorce attorney. In the life of a Christian, I do not believe, in the life of a Christian, please hear me, I don't believe the first thing we need to do is call the attorney. I think we need to have the right attitude. I think we need to develop perseverance, patience in our life. I think we need to talk to our spouse. I think we need to seek wise counsel with our pastor. And let's move forward as we resolve the conflict together. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, this uh, afternoon, maybe you're here and maybe the greatest conflict that you have is the conflict that exists between you and Jesus. And that conflict between you and Jesus is just simply this. If you died tonight, you'd split hell wide open. Why? Because you don't know Christ as your Savior. You've never been born again. And this morning, what you need more than anything is to trust Christ as your Savior. And so right where you're at today, dear friend, the best that you know how, would you exercise Romans? Well, the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Right where you're at today, the best that you know how, would you cry out to God and say something like this to Him? Would you say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sin and save me. I'll live for you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Now while our heads are still bowed and our eyes are still closed this morning, maybe you're here and maybe you prayed that little prayer the best of your ability, the best that you knew how. If you're here this morning and that was you and that's, that's something you did between you and God, 
I sure would love to just rejoice and thank God for that. So if you've done that this morning and you prayed that little prayer, would you lift your hand up nice and high and say, I did that today, preacher. I I gave my heart to Christ. I I asked Jesus to come into my heart today. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, preacher, there is some conflict in my life. I got some people around me. Maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's a boss, a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, or maybe it's your spouse. And there's some conflict there. And, and the, really the bottom line is you hadn't exercised any of these principles. You've tried to bully your way through it. And it's not working. Dear friend, I'm going to ask you today, quit bullying your way through this thing. Turn loose of it. Let go of it. Come to Jesus Christ. Let Him have it. His yoke is easy. His burden's light. He wants to restore your marriage, but in order to do so, He's got to restore you first. So I'm going to ask you, husbands, why don't you just turn loose of your wife's hand? Get it out from around their shoulder. Why don't you lead the way? Why don't you come and get in this altar and cry out to God that God would restore your marriage and that you would seek Him by having a good attitude and being patient with God and your spouse and by going to them when there's trials. And if you need help, you'll reach out and ask somebody to help you. Why don't you do that today? Father, this is the message you've laid on my heart. Would you have your way this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name.